Welcome to Friendly Words, the sermon podcast of Pratt Friends Church in Pratt, Kansas. The message you're about to hear was originally preached at Pratt Friends Church on Easter Sunday, April 17, 2022. It focuses on Jesus' resurrection from the dead and all that that means for us as believers. The message to all who will listen is, we are saved by faith in Jesus, our living Lord. Now, here is Pastor Mike Neifert. Let's pray together, and we're going to go to God's Word, because it's Easter, and what better day to look at God's Word, right? Uh, Every day is good to look at God's Word, but this is one of those special days, so let's pray together. God, thank you for your mercy and grace toward us. We thank you for the gift of your Son, Jesus, and as we read your Word and understand your Word, I pray that you would find joy in our worship. God, may we find peace as we think of your son's resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. So have you ever been startled at the appearance of someone who's in a place that they're not supposed to be? Like an unusual place. I'm not talking about meeting up with a friend in like a military firing range and saying, hey, what are you doing here? That's uh, probably a bad idea in the first place and illegal. But I'm talking about just more of a benign chance encounter miles from home. So let me give you an example. Uh, Once many, many years ago, our family, on our way back from Branson, stopped in at the Precious Moments Chapel in Carthage, Missouri. We pulled our van into the parking lot outside, unloaded our three girls, and headed toward the front door. Just before we climbed the last of the steps before the entrance, another family with girls burst out of the place. We stared in amazement. There were the Druards, a family who lived three or four miles from us. The oldest daughter of that family was best friends with our eldest, and so it was just fun. We didn't know they were on vacation. They didn't know we were on vacation. Miles from home, we meet up. More recently, I received a text completely out of the blue from PCC's head basketball coach, Mr. Eddie. He and a few others from Pratt were attending an NBA game in Denver, Colorado. As you may know, my brother Patrick works security at most Nuggets home games in Ball Arena, keeping an eye on things from behind the visiting team's bench. The photo I was sent was of Mr. Eddie, a friend of his, and Patrick, and my response was, wow. (laughs) My brother had seen them wearing a Pratt shirt, and he walked up to them and said, hey, I have a brother in Pratt, and Mr. Eddie said, right when he said he had a brother in Pratt, I knew. We kind of have matching beards. We all have stories like this, and at least a few of us have a crazy friend or two who likes to sneak up on us and yell, boo, loudly just to make us jump. Is it only me that has a friend like that? Have any of you been to a funeral and a couple of days later had a surprise encounter with a former man or woman of honor at that service? Nobody? Dreams about them don't count. I'm talking about face-to-face, hey, I'm alive again, nice to see you, nice to meet you. Anybody? No. All the people who have died and whom I've laid to rest have stayed in the ground. The saints whom I've eulogized are still six feet under waiting for the trumpet call of God and their ascension into heaven. And eventually I'm going to be there and waiting too. 
So not one of us has had a back-from-the-grave encounter, anything like Jesus' disciples experienced on the third day. Jesus is the only man ever to rise from the dead, hold a few surprise meet-and-greets with his friends, and then go to heaven alive and in the body while everybody stared at the sky. He's the only human who borrowed a grave and gave it back. And just to make sure we know he's really, truly dead, let me read a short passage from Mark 15, verses 37 to 47, which establishes the facts of his passing. Again, this is Mark 15, verses 37 through 47. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And when the centurion who stood there in front of Jesus saw how he died... He said, surely this man was the Son of God. Some women were watching from a distance. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James the younger, and of Joseph and Salome. In Galilee, these women had followed him and cared for his needs. Many other women who had come up with him to Jerusalem were also there. It was preparation day, that is the day before the Sabbath. So as evening approached, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent member of the council who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, went boldly to Pilate and asked for Jesus' body. Pilate was surprised to hear that he was already dead. Summoning the centurion, he asked him if Jesus had already died. When he learned from the centurion that it was so, he gave the body to Joseph. So Joseph brought some linen cloth, took down the body, wrapped it in the linen, and placed it in a tomb cut out of the rock. Then he rolled a stone against the entrance of the tomb. Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of Joseph, saw where he was laid. Jesus breathed his last. He died on the cross. An officer in charge confirmed his passing when questioned by Pilate. His body was taken down and laid in a tomb. His friends wrapped his limp form in linen cloths. The women saw where he was buried. He was dead, not mostly dead, not just unconscious, Dead as dead can be, no breath, no heartbeat, no life. We have to establish this or what happens in Mark 16 is not as wondrous. A man waking up after fainting isn't the same as a man rising from the dead. One is natural, the other is supernatural. We're ready now to read Mark 16, which records for us the writer's inspired take on the events which transpired after Jesus' death. It is not a normal post-burial narrative. Spoiler alert, the buried guy doesn't stay buried. A little side note, well, maybe a big side note. If you have your Bible open to Mark 16, the verses following verse 8 are likely set off from the rest. The NIV has verses 9 through 20 printed in italics to make sure you take note. It also has a footnote about a verse which might fit between verse 8 and 9. We'll talk about those added things in a bit, but first I want us to hear all of Mark 16. And to close out this series on Mark, I've asked myself to read these verses, and I know I took the shortest chapter. But as I read, I trust that God is going to speak to you and that you're going to hear what's been passed down over the centuries. So pay attention to what the Spirit whispers to your heart. Listen as I read. What the Spirit says matters. So hear him and obey him. Here we go. Mark chapter 16, starting at verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, 
Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, Who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. As they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Don't be alarmed, he said. You are looking for Jesus, the Nazarene, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him? But go, tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as he told you. Trembling and bewildered, the women went out and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. When Jesus rose early on the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had driven seven demons. She went and told those who had been with him and who were mourning and weeping. When they heard that Jesus was alive and that she had seen him, they did not believe it. Afterward, Jesus appeared in a different form to two of them while they were walking in the country. These returned and reported it to the rest, but they did not believe them either. Later, Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. He said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. After the Lord Jesus had spoken to them, he was taken up into heaven, and he sat at the right hand of God. Then the disciples went out and preached everywhere, and the Lord worked with them and confirmed his word by the signs that accompanied it. All right, let's put the italicized stuff aside for just a little longer and take note of what the first eight verses tell us. Jesus is alive. Right? Jesus is alive. That's the news that the messenger from God gives to the women as they stick their heads in the tomb after discovering the stone rolled away. The angel's exact words are, He has risen. He is not here. This is supposed to be good news. And it is. But the women react with less joy than they could have. Instead, verse 8 tells us that they're too stunned to speak. The actual words Mark used to describe their state were trembling and bewildered. In their fear, they leave the empty grave behind, fleeing in fear. They speak to no one about what they've seen. And Jesus, in the book of Mark, at the end of verse 8, he never shows up in person in the text. He's mentioned by the man in white, of course, who says that he's alive, but there's not one appearance story. Matthew, Luke, and John have tons of such accounts. They mention multiple times when Jesus met with his followers. Mark says nothing of Mary's encounter in the garden outside the tomb. He doesn't tell us of Jesus' sudden appearance in a locked room or of his visit to two men on the road to Emmaus. There's no trace of Thomas's doubt and subsequent belief. No reinstating of Peter. Mark, at the end of verses 1 through 8, has given us the good news of Jesus' resurrection, but he's left us hanging on what comes next. 
In fact, without the facts given to us in the other three Gospels, things seem pretty bleak when we come to the period at the end of the sentence, which concludes verse 8. There's good news to be known, but no one knows it outside of this circle of scared-to-death women who aren't spreading the word at all, not even to the disciples. This dismal ending is probably why we have the words which we've been given in verses 9 through 20. It is likely someone who read the preserved words of Mark years after he was dead, thought more needed to be said. Who that hypothetical someone might be is unknown. The likely culprit was a scribe or a group of scribes who later duplicated Mark's gospel by hand. A copyist or two or three or who knows how many, scholars speculate, disliked the abrupt ending and added notes about parts of the story which they knew from the other accounts of Jesus' life. They weren't meaning to add to scripture, just giving the rest of the story as a side note. If you've been around Matthew, Luke, and John much, you probably recognize this additional material and know that it can be verified. So what are we supposed to do with these words in verses 9 through 20? And more importantly, what are we not supposed to do with them? To the first question... What are we to do with them? I say, let these verses confirm for us the reliability of the things which the other Gospels speak of. Though Mark almost certainly did not pen these words, they affirm what was known of Jesus' story to the copyists of this book. They are a witness to the truth. To the second, what we should not do, I believe, is we should not use these as a sole source for any doctrinal teaching or practical action for the church. Only the things which are repeated elsewhere should guide our beliefs and our behaviors. Without condemning anyone, I would include snake handling and purposeful poison drinking in the category of questionable practice since they are mentioned nowhere else in the scripture. Can God protect from snake bites? He did. We have this story from the book of Acts, chapter 28, verses 2 through 5. Paul is shipwrecked on this island, and here's what happens. The islanders showed us unusual kindness, Luke writes. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself to his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. This passage does not encourage the intentional grabbing of snakes to prove faith in God. It simply reports God's protection of one of his saints in an instance when a snake bit him. Not a fun experience. I just don't like even snakes that are not poisonous. But here's, here's what we have. There is so much more that we could say about this, and I'm sure that some of you would find the exploration of the facts interesting, but I don't want us to get bogged down in minutia and miss the message that we all need to hear today, that Jesus is alive. All right, just checking, making sure you're alive too. So with the rest of our time together, let me bring in several passages from the other Gospels, which these verses affirm as true. I offer these words inspired by God so your hope and joy may grow as we celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. And so let's start with Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene, which Mark mentions in verses 9 through 11. 
John tells a story in John 20, 11 through 18. He gives an account of this woman's early morning visit to the tomb. She finds it empty, runs and tells the disciples. The disciples check the tomb themselves and then leave, and Mary sticks around. We find her by herself at the beginning of verse 11. Again, this is John 20, verses 11 to 18. Now Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she wept, she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she did not recognize that it was Jesus. He asked her, Woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? Thinking he was the gardener, Mary said, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said, Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, I have seen the Lord, and she told them that he had said these things to her. What a precious personal encounter Mary gets. She is filled with joy. What puzzled her earlier, that empty tomb, is forgotten as she realizes what it means. Jesus is alive. She immediately runs to tell the disciples what happened. So even though Mark ends with the women afraid to say anything, we know eventually that a woman and probably all the other women made the news of the resurrection known. Because Jesus is alive. Let's take on the story alluded to in Mark 16, 12 through 13 now. This one is fleshed out in the book of Luke chapter 24, Rather than read the entire story, let me pick a few verses from the beginning and a few from its conclusion. I'll start with Luke 24, verses 13 to 16, and then we're going to skip down to 30 to 35 in just a second. So here we are, Luke 24, starting at verse 13. Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. So a discussion ensues. Then these guys invite Jesus into their home at the end of their journey. This is what happens in verses 30 to 35, and I know I'm skipping a bunch of meat in there, but here we go. Verse 30, when he was at the table with them, he, that is Jesus, took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, It is true, the Lord is risen and has appeared to Simon." Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. Evidence is mounting that Jesus is alive. More and more people are having these unexpected meetups with him. More folks are stunned when he's recognized. 
In this case, Jesus teaches them about himself. That's the part we skipped. He went through all the scriptures, beginning with Moses and going all the way through the prophets and began to explain to them, this is the way God had planned it. He gently chides them for their disbelief, then explains everything about himself. And then, as he broke the bread and gave thanks, they go, oh, that's the guy, and he disappears. (laughs) Oh, my. We have more than enough evidence in our Bibles that Jesus is who he says he is, that he's the Savior of the world, and that he is the living Lord, the King of kings. How can we not believe and worship him, giving him all that we are and all that we have? Let's cover one more supporting story from the other Gospels. We need to watch as Jesus confirms his resurrection to the 11 remaining disciples. Because remember, they still haven't seen him. Mary's seen him. The two guys on the way to Emmaus, they've seen him. The other women have seen him, but they haven't. Actually, we're skipping over the part where 10 of them saw him and going to the one where there's just one doubter left. You remember his name, right? Thomas. Very good. So I chose this one because it shows the depth of doubt of one of the men who spent the last few years with Jesus and his coming around, his meetup with Jesus. So let's read. I am reading from John chapter 20, and we're at verse 24. Now Thomas, also called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. That's the earlier encounter. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails were and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here, see my hands, reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus is alive. Thomas, who doubted most, believes. And John, as he records the man's transformation, urges us to believe. He confers blessing on those who have not seen and yet believe. You and I are blessed if we believe on Jesus. Blessed by God, we have eternal life through faith in Jesus Christ. Jesus died on the cross, shedding his blood for our salvation. He was buried. He lay in the tomb for three days. And on the third day, just as he said it would happen, he rose from the dead, confirming that God had accepted his sacrifice. His resurrection gives us hope for our own resurrection when he returns. It gives us hope when we mourn for the passing of loved ones who loved him. Those who have given themselves to Jesus by faith will rise when Jesus returns. I invite you, as I did last week, to put your faith in Jesus or to renew your trust in him. Jesus is alive and active in the world, drawing men and women to himself. He's saving men and women from the guilt and the power of sin. He's inviting you and me to be united with him through the Holy Spirit and to enjoy eternal life, a life which begins the moment we believe. It's not just heaven that we get. We get Jesus here and now. Today, God offers you the opportunity to believe. He holds out the gift of eternal life and asks if you will receive it by faith. 
If you want eternal life, it's found in Jesus alone. There is no other way to come to the Father except through Jesus. I invite you to pray and to invite Jesus to take over your life, to give your will and your life to him, and allow him to make the changes in you that he desires to make, to make you a kingdom citizen that lives out the righteousness that we have through faith in Christ. I invite you to pray and to ask for this gift as we close today. You will be blessed if you believe. Let's take a moment or two in silence to pray, to worship, to give thanks, to celebrate God's gift of salvation through Jesus, our risen Savior. Father, we've all watched his loved ones uh, failed physically. We all miss and have said goodbye to numerous people in our lives, friends and family members. We thank you today that because of Jesus' resurrection, we have hope that they are with you, those who have believed. So grateful for that today. So grateful for the hope that we have because Jesus is alive. God, I pray that we would walk in faith this week, that we would follow your spirit. We thank you for the gift of eternal life that you've given us, the gift of yourself living within us, that though we die, yet we shall live. God, I pray that we would experience the joy and the blessing that you promised to all who believe. And God, if there's any here who haven't put their faith in Jesus, I pray that your spirit would speak to them right now and draw them to you. I pray that they might find life in him, eternal life through Jesus Christ, who is our Lord, and in whose name we pray today. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged and challenged by today's sermon. If you want to hear each week's message, be sure to subscribe to Friendly Words in your podcast app. May God bless you as you follow Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit.